Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode five of the scintillating conversational segment that we like to call Gary Talks, too. We uh, pride ourselves on being a, a sane voice out there in uh, podcast land and welcome your involvement, feedback, comments. Today, oddly enough, is the actual 4th of July. So, yay! Congratulations to uh, my country, my countrymen. It's certainly a day to uh, celebrate and reflect, and we'll get into that. But I, t I titled this podcast on this most auspicious uh, day, Thieves of Freedom. You'll see why. We've seen in previous podcasts, or heard anyway, how the slave patrols of the early 1700s put together by Southern planters led to eventually uh, modern-day police departments. And unfortunately, for quite a while there, uh, some of them brought along their racial prejudices with them as they morphed into these modern departments. Some say this is the root of racism in modern policing. Well, that was certainly true through the 60s at least, uh, take it from me. It's hard to pin that down now as the reason why. Some cops are just plain rotten racists, while so many others just want to bring peace to their communities. And I, in my time, I'm going to digress here a little bit of my time, especially in my youth, I had uh, multiple engagements with the police. And I found that to be true. This would be the uh, late 60s. I found some of them to be scumbags. They would plant evidence. They would use violence against people. They were bad apples, to say the least. But there was a few. Uh, you could tell they were just men of integrity doing what they thought was right. They didn't plant evidence. They didn't threaten people. They just did their job as best they could. So anyway, back to this topic. Um, the individual slave catchers were actually around long before these organized patrols. The evil, evil history of these people actually goes back to the 16th century in the West Indies. And from there spread to the colonies when people saw they were effective. The uh, great Commonwealth of Carolina and the colony of Carolina, there was no North and South back then, were first to start the practice of these uh, patrols. But the idea quickly spread to all 13 colonies. Now think about that for a minute. All 13 colonies. There's a there's a belief that slavery wasn't in all 13 colonies. Well, it was at one point slavery and indentured servitude as well. Uh, but the Northerners, uh, for various reasons, decided that this was just plain wrong and it eventually died out. And then we found it moving south where that free labor was needed desperately. But the reason for these patrols was uh, really quite simple. It was feared that the whole system of control and enslavement would almost certainly collapse. It was, there was, if there was not, an immediate harsh reaction to any attempt to escape from bondage. 
the enslavers, the people who claim to own these people seeking freedom, would also suffer in their own community when a slave ran away, believe it or not. They not only lost uh, what they considered to be a valuable asset, but they were seen by those in the community as being irresponsible and downright stupid for not controlling their so-called property and allowing them to flee. Now, in Volume 1, I mentioned several incidents. That is Volume 1 of my uh, multi-part series, Journey, the Story of an American Family. I mentioned several incidents where slave catchers were interrupted by those who hated slavery. One story uh, always kind of cracked me up, and it's uh, well-documented. The story is a bunch of slavers came bursting into a white couple's house where a young black family was strongly suspected of having sought shelter. The young black parents were silent, of course. They were hidden away, but their baby would not stop crying. The white woman, the white wife, grabbed the baby and pretended it to be nursing under a blanket. So when they did burst in, uh, they were... That's the site they came across. And the slavers were shamed into leaving the property empty-handing, asking to be excused as they backed out the door. Maybe a little glimmer of decency in uh, these Christian walls. Uh, probably not. Here's another one you may, may not know. On June 2nd of 1848, the entire Walker family of seven and two friends, nine people altogether, fled a farm in Missouri owned by Mr. Daggs and fled across the river to Iowa where they were sheltered by sympathetic townspeople. I believe the name of the town was Salem. The slavers chased them down and threatened to kill them then and there, even though they were on free soil. The townsfolk intervened forcefully and all parties agreed that a trial was to be held. It was found in that uh, tribunal, hastily called, that Mr. Daggs had no claim on these people, no ownership claim on these people. Well, this pissed off his agents that had uh, crossed the river and chase, and in defiance of the law, they grabbed four of the refugees before anything could be done and retreated back across the river into Missouri. Also in Volume 1 is mention of probably the most famous act of resistance or group resistance, the 1851 Christiana Raid. A slave owner named, get this, Edward Gorsuch. So, makes me kind of wonder if, uh, if they're related, if this racist bullshit way of looking at life uh, maybe ran the family. But anyway, Mr. Gorsuch and, uh, and a large... Uh, group of people, if you call them that, they tried to raid a house in that Pennsylvania town of Christiana, but they were met with very stiff armed resistance from the townspeople. Shots were exchanged, he was killed, and the others fled with no slaves in tow. 
So as I said before, today is the 4th of July, and we celebrate our collective freedom on this sacred day. If you today give any real thought to those whose terrible sacrifices led to our raids and fireworks, but they should, they really should. It was a hazardous enterprise at best back then and cost the lives of thousands, tens of thousands. I also mentioned in volume one of Journey that the Adams County Anti-Slavery Society, where all most of the action in volumes one and two uh, took place, the lovely little burg of uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The Adams County Anti-Slavery Society was formed on this very auspicious day in 1836. So I'm going to read from my book now. This is an actual document. It's part of the public record. And I'm quoting it here word for word, the bad spelling, bad punctuation and all. It is as moving as it is gripping. The emotion and frustration in it are obvious, but so also is the hope shining through. So let me do a little setup here. This is a meeting at McAllister's Mill, a very real place where this very real event happened. And I've uh, imagined a group of people being in there, both black and white. And of course it was all men they were in dangerous work and they didn't want to endanger their wives or children. So now I'll read from journey volume one, the story of an American family. Every man in the room had a story of someone they knew being subjected to this violence of slavery, slave catchers. It was hard to ignore the seething hostility of the slave hunters, the Christian wolves, who sought to enslave all blacks everywhere. James had lost his own brother to these animals. Others had lost siblings, children, and even parents to the hunters who did not care at all about any black person's status. They were simply chattel to be owned and nothing else in their view. The group came up with a total of 14 resolutions and a final note of commitment to the cause of freedom. When the meeting started to break up in the late afternoon, McAllister took a sheet of paper from one of the speakers and, addressing the group, read from it. Gentlemen, I think after this first meeting of our society, and with God's blessing, we will be able to weaken the grip of the evil institution on the imaginations of northern white folks, and maybe even some in the south. There was some murmuring in the group at these words. Let me continue, gentlemen. When the talking died down, he went on with the document. Be it resolved that God hath made of one blood all nations of men, according to the gospel of St. Paul. Furthermore, be it resolved that if liberty is the right of all men, no human being can rightfully be held in slavery. That was one of their uh, statements. He let those words sink in a moment, then went on. I know we are all anxious to rejoin our families and celebrate this great day in our history. So I'll finish with this final statement. I will ensure you all get a printed copy of this as soon as possible. 
With that, he cleared his throat and read these words. It is resolved that although we may be denounced for our efforts in the cause of human rights, by office-holding and office-seeking politicians, and even by men wearing clerical robes, we will not be afraid of their terror, but disregarding their denunciations, we will continue to open our mouths for the dumb and to plead the cause of the oppressed and of those who have none to help them, humbly believing that if we do unto others as we wish that they should do unto us, we shall have the approbation of him who will render every man according to his works and whose approbation will be a full remuneration for the loss of this world's favor. McAllister's voice had risen as he read the words that would influence all their lives from this point forward. Finished. The silence was surprising. Then as one, they all rose to applaud not only James McAllister, but themselves as well. Okay, I'm back. I hope those words of that very stirring resolution move you as much as they do me. It's a very simple declaration that we know what's right, even if the rest of the world doesn't. And our reward will be eternity in heaven. Now, I've got to remember back then, a lot of people were just very, very religious. It was the it was the heart of most communities and people were very serious about it. So a lot of language from back then is couched in this uh, references to God and God's will, God's justice. I, uh, I'm not one of those, but I, I recognize the commitment, the force, the strength of those words spoken by people who do believe in all of that. So, I don't want to take anything away just because of the uh, the old-fashioned words that they use to say very basic human emotions. So now I've titled this episode Freedom Stealers for a reason, and I'm going to digress from my usual discussion of antebellum history and just talk about those who still want to steal our freedom. They have much nicer titles now. Titles like, oh, district judge, Supreme Court justice, or chief justice, U.S. senator, or U.S. representative, state senator, state representative, governor, and others. I'm sure you can think of a few more. Another nice, so nice title, the one I usually give them, is a MAGA Nazi. You've heard me use that before, and it's a... Uh, I believe it's totally justified. I use that one a lot. And I don't bandy it about. You have to earn that designation. And when you do, you can either get angry with me or wear it with pride. It's up to you. We need to call these people out for what they are. Stealers of freedom. Whether it's freedom from hate, freedom from discrimination, freedom from fear, or freedom to choose who to love, or where to live, 
whether it's freedom for women to chart their own lives without perverts, and yes, I believe those people are perverts, stealing that freedom from them. Loss of opportunity and hope through discriminatory laws they pass and they actively support. Our freedoms are being slowly eroded, and sometimes not so slowly, by people who fill the emptiness of their lives with hate. Hate for the other, hate for women, hate for young people, hate for people in different cities that they've never met. It's just hate. That's what they fill the emptiness with. And as long as they can hate, they will hate, and they will find someone to turn it on. As long as I have started uh, started in on what I call the ironically named Supreme Court, let's just keep that ball rolling along, shall we? I went to my very own Google machine and typed in something like uh, worst Supreme Court decisions in history. Uh, I recommend you do the same. Get out your Google machine and ask it that very question. So these are not in a sequential order. They're in the order of um, the awfulness of the decisions, I guess. Which means, of course, that the list has to start with Dred Scott versus Sanford in 1857. And the person who put these all together goes on to say, hands down the worst Supreme Court decision ever. Dred Scott held that African Americans, whether freemen or slaves, could not be considered American citizens. The ruling undid the Missouri Compromise, barred laws that would free slaves, and all but guaranteed that there would be no political solution to slavery. And get this part. The opinion even included a ridiculous, quote, parade of horribles that would appear if Scott were recognized as a real American citizen, which, of course, he was. Terrible, awful things like unspeakable scenarios like African-Americans being able to vacation. Oh, we can't have that. Hold public meetings. Oh, no, 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 no. And exercise their free speech rights. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, 1927, case Buck v. Bell. The court declared in this terrible decision, which uh, actually still stands as good law, in an eight-to-one decision written by none other than Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, the court upheld the forced sterilization of those with intellectual disabilities, quote, for the protection and health of the state. Justice Holmes ruled that society can prevent those, and again, this is a quote, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind, end quote, continuing their kind, and ended the opinion by declaring that, quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough, end quote. Well, apparently there's still a lot of imbeciles out there. Sorry, Oliver, you blew it. Third on that list, is the Korematsu versus United States in 1944. And this one, as you can imagine, is when uh, 
The Supreme Court upheld the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Finding that the need to protect against espionage outweighed the individual rights of American citizens. Got that? These baseless fears outweighed the individual rights of American citizens. In a very cruel and ironic twist, this is also the first time the court applied strict scrutiny to racial discrimination by the U.S. government, belaying the idea that strict scrutiny is strict in theory, fatal in fact. Then along comes Plessy v. Ferguson in 1896, which I've discussed before, the court's famous separal but equal ruling upheld state segregation laws. In doing so, the court made sure that the gains of the post-Civil War Reconstruction era were quickly replaced by decades and decades of Jim Crow laws. And this is one I hadn't read about. It was just called the Civil Rights Cases. One of them was uh, Heart of Atlanta Motel versus U.S. This was in 1883 now, 1883. What was that? Uh, 18 years after the end of the Civil War. Another testament to the court's failure to protect civil rights, the civil rights cases struck down the Civil Rights Act of 1875, a very tepid rights act, uh, but they struck it down. That law sought to ban racial discrimination in businesses and public accommodations. The court, in an eight-to-one decision, held that the enforcement provisions of the 13th and 14th Amendments do not allow Congress to prevent non-governmental racial discrimination. So because of that, it would take over 80 years for the court to switch course, allowing for the government protection of civil rights, and this time under the Commerce Clause. In uh, Bowers versus Hardwick, this is in modern times in the 1986, the decision upheld a discriminatory sodomy statute that uh, was only on the books to uh, to prosecute uh, gay men. There was no other reason. Remember when I referred to perverts earlier making the rules? Another one is uh, Hammer v. Dagenhart, 1918. This is a good one. Here, the court ruled that Congress could not ban child labor in intrastate commerce. Sure, Congress could legislate against gambling and other vices, but whether children were to be kept out of mines and factories was a question only states could decide. Does that sound familiar to everybody? It should. There's the uh, United States versus Crookshank that eviscerated the Privileges or Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment, preventing the amendment from broadly protecting individual rights. To this very day, the uh, Chai Chang Ping versus United States, 1889, upheld the Chinese Exclusion Act on a basis that Congress has an inherent power to restrict migration in the United States, despite Congress not actually being enumerated this power. Another favorite uh, that still affects everyday life in this country is Baker v. Carr in 1962 that allowed gerrymandering. 
and of course everybody's fave is the uh, uh, world famous Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission in 2010. Perhaps the most hated decision from the Roberts court <laughs> until lately. Now it seems pretty tepid, really. Citizens United held that political donations are speech protected by the First Amendment, opening the floodgates to unlimited personal and corporate donations to what they call super PACs. You've heard of them. Though widely unpopular, the ruling isn't going away anytime soon. I huh, wonder why. It would take a constitutional amendment or a new Supreme Court makeup to reverse that decision. Pretty sorry uh, list there. And uh, those aren't even one-tenth probably of the, the crap that these people have come out with. We've seen some progress, but lately, with the three MAGA Nazis put on by the ultimate MAGA Nazi, the orange one, and at such a young age, we'll be living with these, uh, I, they probably think of themselves as Americans, but I certainly don't. These people have no respect for the Constitution, no respect for the rule of law. They want to shove their thinking down your throat, period. Okay, yay, time for the political rant, yay. At least, uh, if it's not my favorite part, certainly the most fun part. We can lighten up a little bit. And since the theme on this very special day, celebrating freedom, is to look at those among us who preach, who insist on taking away these freedoms, they, uh, they also insist that they are good Americans, sometimes even calling themselves, falsely as it turns out, the only real Americans. They love to wrap themselves up in the flag and say, see, 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 look at me, look at me, I'm a real American. They live among us and walk among us. We know some of their names, of course, Trump and Trump and another Trump. We got uh, a nutcase down in Florida by the name of DeSantis or DeSantis. Varies from day to day. We got uh, the Canadian Cruz, who really claims to be an American. Some weirdo jerk named Stone, who worked very hard to throw overthrow the government and will be throwing himself into a prison cell soon, hopefully. Guy named Kev, you know, McCarthy, guy who would uh, give away everything, including his integrity, for a little few minutes in the spotlight. A rather uh, obnoxious person named Green and another obnoxious uh, person with a criminal record who is married to a well-known pervert. Uh, Bobert, and on and on and on. There's just way too many to name here. This one's already going a little long. So what's the answer? Come on. I've identified the problem. What's the answer? I'll tell you. Stand up and be counted, damn it. There comes a time in the history of all countries, all cultures, all societies, 
when people must stand up for what's right, even if it's inconvenient or a bother or you have something else you need to do. The time for bullshit excuses has passed. Make your voice heard. When that jerk of an uncle or that uh, MAGA Nazi next door starts up, stand up. When voting rights are withdrawn, when voting is made difficult only for some and not others, stand up. You can send emails to your reps and senators. You can ask the person with the loud mouth, your neighbor or your uncle or somebody in a grocery store, in a very non-judgmental way, really. Think about this. Just approach them and say, come on, you don't actually believe that garbage, do you? Do it in a non-threatening way. And then ask them to defend their position with no cliches. These are the rules for this website or this uh, podcast and my website. Defend their position with no cliches, no lies, no slogans, no bumper sticker crap. Facts. Facts and figures. Okay, so we're done ranting. I just want to close today uh, by just asking everybody seriously, reflect on what this day actually means to the United States and to us, all of us in the U.S. It was a very solemn day back there in 1776 when all those men, yes, I know, they were all old white men, I know, I know. That was the way politics was done back then. Judging it by 20th, 21st century standards is a fool's errand. But they really did put their very lives on the line to state the obvious. The obvious is that all men are created equal. That all men and women have the full rights, protections, and privileges as well as the obligations, we shouldn't forget the obligations, of our U.S. citizenship, not just those rights that a bunch of mostly old white men today, which is wrong, graciously deign to grant them. If someone steals your freedom, fight back. Men, stand with the women of this country as they fight tooth and nail to make their own choices about their own lives and their own bodies. Wrong is just plain wrong, and it must have the full light of day shown upon it. And vote, always vote, no matter how minor the election may seem. There are no minor elections, none. Just stand in the line and vote. Or, uh, if you like me, you vote early, because I don't like standing in line. I'm old. Consider this. If your vote, if you feel like your vote is worth so little and is so unimportant, why are truly, truly anti-American people like the Maganazis and those individuals that were mentioned before trying so damn hard to keep you away from the polls? It's a simple question. If your vote's not important, why are they bending over backwards and breaking a sweat to keep you out of the poll? 
Also consider this hard truth. Voting in this country is not a right. It is a duty, it is an obligation, and above all, it is an honor. Don't let it go to waste, people, or we'll wind up with another orange-flavored nightmare in the White House. Now, really, go on out there and enjoy the day with your friends and family, who I'm sure, if you're listening to this podcast, they are people who actually love our Constitution, our democracy, and be proud be to be an American. We are truly fortunate. I wish you all peace. And don't forget, I can be found on uh, all the social medias, or most of them anyway. On Facebook, I'm at uh, Gary Loves to Write, because I do love to write. On uh, Twitter and Instagram, I am at Reader Reclusive. I came up with that during the uh, pandemic when I was a very reclusive reader. I really love to hear from y'all. I love to hear uh, from anybody, whether you have a, uh, a ding, you don't like something I said, or you want to uh, agree or add another point. I'm, uh, I'm not easily offended, so please let me know what you're thinking. I also love to hear from people that uh, have some interesting recipes because people who know me know I love to cook and I'm serious about it. So whatever your reason, drop me a line. Go to uh, the podcast at gvbrights.com. The website is www.gvbrights.com. And uh, let me hear from you. There's a contact page on there. There's uh, reviews of both uh, volumes of Journey, some outlines of what I'm, where I'm taking it. Uh, there's some interesting facts and stories on there. And uh, some really cool airplane pictures, too, just to uh, break it up. So please, go on out there and enjoy this day, this wonderful day that was purchased for you at a very high price and a very high cost. Once again, peace.